coming up next on 2NURFM. It's Thursday Finance with Stephen Pritchard joining me, Jane Klein, and uh, we're going to take a look at end-of-year planning, tax planning for investors because that time of year is coming up. Also a couple of things from the budget. We'll see what's happening in our market snapshot and currency and commodities, see how they're travelling this week. And Stephen, the first question I'd like to ask you is that something happens, doesn't it, to accounts that you haven't used for a while? Yes. Um, if you've got a, a, a bank or building society account or an account with other type of financial institution, if you haven't transacted on it um, for three years, that means put a deposit in or take money out. Um, it gets paid to the unclaimed monies. Now, that was that was changed about two years ago. Previously, it was seven years. Um, there was a lot of complaints about um, money being paid to unclaimed monies, and it really wasn't unclaimed. People just hadn't used the account for three years and went along to the bank one day and found it was gone. Um, in the budget that came down, the latest budget, they proposed to change it back to the seven years, which is far more sensible and was the historic... Uh, Term. Was it always possible to get the monies back if you discovered they'd been uh, Ah, yeah, yeah, you can, get the, you can get the monies back, but, but like everything else, um, getting money back from the government is a long, a long drawn-out process. process, and you have to provide certified ID and all that. Mm. All that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, I, I'm not sure when that's supposed to take effect, but... Um, let's hope it's sooner rather than let's later. Let's hope it's sooner. You know, there are a number of people who, whose money was paid in... Yeah, okay, yes. So uh, meanwhile, what's happening as far as prices of commodities and things are concerned? Um, the commodities were, were um, up a little bit for the week. The gold was up um, 2.9% to $1,536 an ounce. Silver was up 2.8% to $21.71. And as we said before, the silver and gold price usually move in alignment. And um, copper copper was down marginally to 7 $1,846 a tonne and the same, well, it was tin, uh, sorry, the same as nickel, which is down 4% to $16,487 a tonne. So the, 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 uh, mineral, um, commodities used for manufacturing, the industrial metals rather, um, have dropped, mm-hmm. um, on the week and the precious metals have gone up. Okay. Does, is that a trend that's likely to continue? Oh, I, I don't think it's, can tell. No, no, so it's not <laughs> material. I mean, not really material. <laughs> okay. um, and the Australian dollar fell by 2.5% for the week, was down to 78.79 cents again, which is good news for people wanting to uh, import things, uh, sorry, export things, but not good news for people wanting to import things or um, go on overseas trips. Do you think the level of the Australian dollar is about where the the government would like to see it? Um, I, I don't know, but the, about the government, the Reserve Bank's talking about low 70s. Mm-hmm. There is some research floating around that says it's going to drop to 65. Mm. But but the truth of the matter, no one really knows. Mm. Wait and see. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I can predict the price. I just won't tell you when it's going to be there. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes, that's the other thing, isn't yeah, it? That's right. Yeah, yeah so the... the, the um, we're down against the US dollar. We're down against the uh, Great British Pound by about one percent, and we're down in, um, down against the Canadian dollar, but up against the euro by you know one tenth of one percent, and up by one tenth of one percent against the New Zealand dollar. Right. So, so no major movements really, yeah. except against the US dollar. 
And the markets are Ah, the markets, yes, the interesting markets. The equities market in Australia was down by 1.6% for the week, um, but it's up this morning. Um, The US Dow was up 1%, and the FTSE, which is the uh, London Index, was up by about 1%, and the Hang Seng Index, which is the Hong Kong Index, was up by 1.2%. And are we up to fuel yet? Yes, we're up to oil. Right, oil. um, The... Your favourite topic. Yeah. Um, the, well, it affects us all, doesn't it? Yeah, that's right. The uh, West Texas intermediate crude price was down by 1.5% of the week by 70 to $74.60. But, as you would have noticed filling up your car, Jane, the unleaded petrol price in Newcastle is up um, $0.08 cents on the week to 143 cents per litre, or 5.6%. And the Sydney unleaded price actually fell on the week to a dollar thirty-four a litre. So we're back to a nine cents a litre difference between Sydney and Newcastle unleaded fuel. Mm. Okay, <laughs> that's the way it seems to be for the moment. Yes, and the diesel price. Um, the diesel price was up in both Sydney and Newcastle by about half a percent for the week. So it's a dollar thirty-four a litre in. Newcastle and a dollar twenty nine a litre in Sydney, so there's about five cents a litre. But you know, a, a nine cents a litre difference on unleaded fuel is a big difference. Well, this is Thursday Finance for our sponsor Pritchard and Partners, and uh, we're very happy to take your calls uh, on your personal investments, taxation, or the stock market. Give us a call four nine two one six two one six. Now, Stephen Pritchard, our market snapshot today, and we're looking at a number of the companies around the place and how they're faring. It seems that Mervac, its business is on the up and up. It's into residential development. Uh, Mervac um, does a lot of res- residential apartment buildings in Sydney, and um, it's announced it's going to um, dramatically increase the um, construction of residential apartments following a big increase in demand. They said the property sales are hot. So that's just another function of the, or an, and an indication of the rising residential property prices, mainly in Sydney. Mainly in Sydney is mm. the point, I suppose. But there's still, there's still a lot of construction going on around here, though. Yes, mm. there is, yeah. too. Yes, it's not all just chopping well, up trees at the no, moment. No, no, chopping, <laughs> chopping up trees, yeah. And I believe journalists are getting a little bit um, toey at the moment. Um, yes, Fairfax Media has announced another round of cost-cutting in the news division. Um, as, as we all know, the newspaper business continues to to struggle and Fairfax is looking at ways of cutting costs and um, the news division, which is the section that actually journalists and gathers the news and puts it together, um, are looking at cost reductions again. Not good for the journalists, I suppose, but they'll know all in good time. Um, Now, thinking overseas a little bit, China and Brazil, are they likely bedfellows? Um, Which is an interesting... um, China has announced that they're going to fund the development of an iron ore mine in Brazil in conjunction with Vale. So the three big iron ore producers in the world are basically Vale, or Vale, I think it's pronounced, Rio and BHP. Um, and as we know that the iron ore price continues to drop and, and um, BHP and Rio are continuing to increase production. Well, now if there's another iron ore mine coming on um, that China's partly funding in uh, Brazil, um, you'd expect the iron ore price would go down even further. Um, and that, that, of course, suits China being a big buyer of uh, iron ore, both in Australia and around the world. But that may not be such good news for our company, so for Rio BHP. And Fortescue, and despite the um, increased production of Fortescue, and despite Fortescue's in, in, 
call for an inquiry into the iron ore price, which I think the Parliament's discussing doing that or have announced they're going to do it. It's also announced that it's going to increase production by 20 million tonnes a year. So we've got all this increased production um, being announced and possibly coming online in that short-term future, and the price of iron ores, I suspect, is going to continue to fall without some big increase in demand, which no one seems to know where that's going to come from. Except perhaps for increased residential development in Sydney. (laughs) Well, I don't think it's going to absorb the amount that they're talking about. (laughs) The um, iron ore, the metal that's being produced. uh, Now, um, real estate, you don't often talk about real estate agents, but um, there's a possibility of uh, McGrath agents. Yes, there's talk talk McGrath agents again, a list on the... um, um, the Australian Stock Exchange. I was actually thinking about that when I was writing the notes. Out. I don't think there is any other real estate agents listed on the Australian Stock Exchange. So they might know. be the first. Well, no, they won't be the first. Um, there's been a number listed in the past, but I don't think there's any currently listed at the moment, which mm. I, I could think of anyhow. Um, it might be a sign that the property market's peaking and the real estate agents will, if they're not making record profits now, I don't think they ever will. Um, and maybe it's a time to cash out some of your equity in the, the real estate agent business. Mm. It's like breaking businesses. When stockbrokers list on the stock exchange, you know that the market's peaking. Oh, really? <laughs> so. It's an old saying. It's an old saying. This is Thursday Finance for our sponsor Pritchard and Partners and Stephen Pritchard. We're in our market snapshot at the moment and taking a look at the companies on our, our stock exchange, seeing what they're up to and where they're likely to be heading. Uh, IINet, there's been bids for IINet from here, from there. And yeah, well, there's, there's, there's two bids. Um, um, TPG started it off um, making a bid for IINet, which the board initially said was good, and then some of the other boards said it wasn't so good. Um, then M2 came in with a higher bid. Um, then TPG came back with a higher bid, which the board said that um, they recommend shareholders accept in the absence of a higher offer. And then N2 Group apparently is having a meeting next week to discuss whether they're going to make another offer for um, IONET. So, you know, like all takeover bids, you probably want to wait till the end before you start accepting it, because if you accept too soon, um, you might not get the higher price. So how do you know when it's the end? Um, The bids are, the, the target's the bidder statement or the supplementary bidder statement probably um, all has a date for acceptance in and you just need to make sure that, you know, you keep an eye on when that is and, you know, allow enough time to go through the mail, three or four days, um, before you send in your acceptance form. There's no need to rush in and put an acceptance form in. Yeah, okay. Do they usually give you a reasonable amount of time to put oh, in the bid, an acceptance? The, bid, the bid's always open for at least a month. Good, okay. Yeah, so you've got a month. Um, and then, you know, this one, this one must have been going on for three months by now. Mm. Been extended a few times. Mm. Uh, so. Yes. Now, what news of West Farmers? Uh, West Farmers, which is the parent of Coles um, and um, Bunnings, have announced they're going to spend another $2 billion um, over the next two years investing this in new stores and upgrading their existing stores. And, you know, it's generally expected this is going to intensify that pressure on um, Woolworths and their um, hardware equivalent masters and as we've spoken about before the the performance of Woolworths um, seems to be falling and masters has you know basically been a disaster Mm. so Coles spending another West Farmers spending another two million isn't good news for Woolworths I would have thought. Mm. Okay watch this space now we've had quite a lot of rain here on the coast over the last while few months but it hasn't been wet inland has it been very dry in parts of of the Uh, country? There's there's been dry in parts of the country but we're also 
Grain Corps announced that they're going to spend another 500 million on growth projects, which they haven't quite defined what they are, um, to provide earning stability. So what happened in the last um, year's report for Grain Corp, um, the profit dropped by 40% because of lower grain harvest um, because of the drier weather. Now that's looking backwards. I mean, that's um, the, the drier weather last winter. Um, that might be better this year. So Grain Corp um, is the largest grain handler on um, the East Coast. And so if there's more grain, there's more handling fees that are paid to Grain Corp. Okay, so maybe things are a little bit better. Um, Grain Corp stock chance. continues to rise. I mean, there was a takeover off of around $12. Um, and the Treasurer stopped, yes, Joe stopped, um, Foreign Investment Review Board of approval, um, and the stock price dropped back, I think, immediately to eight, and it's back up around ten and it's continuing to drift upwards. I think the market's expecting that someone might come back and make another offer. Hmm. Now, big news today, particularly, oh, I yeah. think, about some of the world's largest banks being caught um, talking to each other. Yeah, well, you know. Five of the world's largest banks have been fined $5.7 billion for manipulating foreign exchange. I mean, really, I mean, the amount of profits these five world's largest banks make, I don't think $5.7 billion is going to affect much. I mean, the, the real issue that these banks are that big that no one really knows what's going on inside them. <laughs> as long as they do, I suppose. Well, I don't think they do, to be honest. Uh, but they were, in fact, manipulating... Manipulating foreign exchange yeah, and um, to their advantage of course, and so they've been fined $5.7 billion by the regulators. So something that is of advantage to the five biggest banks, is that likely also to be of advantage to the smaller banks? Um, they're probably, well, foreign exchange is, is, is kind of a zero-sum game. For every winner, there's a loser. So, mm, um, so probably not. Mm. You can bet they've done it to make money, so someone has to have lost on the other side. Mm. This is Thursday Finance, and that's our market snapshot. Stephen Pritchard is very happy to take your questions. Uh, we will be talking a little later on today about uh, about the end-of-year tax planning that you might need to keep in mind as we get towards June the 30th. And to NURFM Thursday Finance for our sponsor, Pritchard & Partners. It's ooh, 21 to 1, and Stephen Pritchard's here until 1 o'clock today with Thursday Finance. Plenty of time for your question to come through on 49216216. We're going to take a look at uh, the things you should be thinking about as the end of the tax year comes closer, but just a couple of uh, follow-ups from the federal budget. Um, what about uh, goods and services taxes going to be applied to more things, Steve? Um, it's not actually more things. Um, goods and service tax will be applied to cross-border suppliers of digital products. Now, what's been happening... Um, a number of products are being um, sold now in Australia digitally, and so there's no actual um, vendor as such in Australia. And the latest is these movies from offshore, which are a dollar a, a dollar a movie cheaper than um, the ones that are sold by the Australian uh, vendors. And and the principal reason is there's no GST on the foreign um, movies. So what the government's decided that um, software sales and other electronic digital products that are sold across the internet directly into Australia will become subject to goods and services tax. That will probably put the price up a little. Um, the price will go up to the equivalent products sold in Australia. Um, how they're going to collect this money will be another 
issue, I imagine, because if the offshore vendors um, don't want to pay it, I, d- I don't really know what they're going to do. Mm. So it would be interesting to see how they're proposing to collect it. And there was some comment from the US government today that um, it shouldn't be introduced. So um, mm, it so will be interesting. Maybe, maybe not. And uh, aged pensions are likely to be affected? Um, yes. What, what's Well, slightly before the budget, what's been happening is there's been some budget um, talk about um, reducing the aged pension. Uh, initially, they were proposing to change the index sedation method, which um, has since been scrapped. Um, and now what they're going to do is they're going to reduce the amount of assets you can hold before um, the pension starts to reduce or is, cuts out altogether. So presently, a married um, couple, I don't suppose they have to be married, but a, a couple of homeowners um, can have $1,151,500 of assets other than the family home before they receive no pension. And, and under the new rules, um, they're only allowed to have $823,000 before they receive uh, no pension yet, plus the house. So the government's reduced the, the asset cap by about 30%. And this will affect um, people with, you know, assets of between 823,000 and 1.5 million will no longer be entitled to the age pension. Mm. And we will be getting someone from Centrelink. Uh, yes, we've asked for someone from Centrelink to come along and talk to us in the next couple of weeks on uh, um, various other changes in the budget. <laughs> but this is the major one. And this is um, getting a lot of heated debate from on both sides of the argument, some people saying that you know, it's about time and others are saying that you know, it shouldn't be cut. So you know, whatever decision you make here isn't easy. Well, we're towards the end of May at the moment and the end of June is cut-off date. The end of June, we must, be, we must be about six weeks to the end of the financial year. So now is always a good time to look at some um, tax planning. Um, and um, people who've, who've, who've got an investment portfolio, you've probably had some reasonably good gains over the year, um, particularly if you've um, had some bank stocks have had a good run-up. Um, it might be worthwhile if you've sold any of those and realised any of your profits, go through your portfolio and see if there's anything else in there that um, has a loss that you might want to sell because you, your capital gains that you made can be offset against your capital loss. Now, you need to be careful that selling the shares just to generate the loss isn't the only reason. It might be that they're not a particularly good investment and you've decided to exit them. Um, but make sure if you're going to do that, think about doing it before the 30th of June. This is Thursday Finance for our sponsor, Pritchard and Partners, and we're looking at uh, the end of the tax year and things you just might need to do something about before the end of the tax year comes along, Stephen Pritchard. Um, we've talked about reviewing your portfolio and capital gains and capital losses. Um, what else can we do to help? Well, um, well for people who've borrowed money to, um, to invest or, or are considering borrowing money, in the next um, six weeks, although you'll have to um, move along to, to get a new loan in the next six weeks, um, what you might think about is paying 13 months interest in advance. So if you pay the interest, the whole of next year's interest in advance in the current year, you're entitled to claim a tax deduction um, for any loan that's used for investment purpose in, on that interest. So you do that if you've got more if liabilities got, this yeah, year? Yes, if, 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 you, if you've got, um, you want to reduce your tax this year, um, um, you, you can claim these additional deductions um, in the current year. But that would mean you wouldn't be able to do it next year on those same figures? 
Uh, that's right, but I mean, there is this saying about um, tax deferred, tax never paid. So um, basically, you're deferring the tax to the following year, and if you do the same thing again, um, it depends on your circumstances. There's a way you can you can way you can get a tax deduction in the current year. Okay, all right. And um, are there any other things you can prepay? Um, yeah, basically prepayments. If um, a lot of people now um, are using electronic subscriptions for for um, um, getting information, um, you can prepay those for the next 12 months. Um, any magazines, that investment magazines or um, property magazines or, or even the Australian Financial Review, if you if you wanted to prepay those subscriptions for the next 12 months, I'm sure those companies are going to be very happy to take the money and you'd be entitled to a tax deduction in the current year. Um, if you're looking at buying um, some software or a computer or um, maybe an iPad if you can justify that relation to your investment income or even your work-related expenses, um, you might want to think about buying those um, this year instead of after, after June. Right. Now, superannuation. Of course, if you're employed, there's a certain amount of superannuation that goes in automatically. Um, yes. If you're employed, your superannuation contributions go in um, If um, by your employer. If you're... Um, not employed um, and you're under 65, um, you can contribute up to 35000 a year and get a, a tax deduction. Over 65, you have to meet the um, work test. Now, if you are employed, you might want to talk to your, to your employer about making a salary sacrifice, which basically means converting some of your pre-tax wages into a superannuation contribution. And under those rules, the employer can also contribute um up to $35,000 a year. So that, that is worthwhile if you're in a high tax bracket or, or you want to increase your savings for super. Um, now, just need to remember that if you're um, employed for part of the year, um, you, you can't have more than 10% of your accessible income coming from employment income in order to claim a personal um, tax deduction for super contributions. Okay, okay. And one of the very important things to remember is that the contribution in order to be deductible has to be in the super fund and the cheque cleared prior to the 30th June. So, or the payment cleared electronic these days both. So if you process it on, you know, six o'clock on Thursday, on the 30th of June, it's likely, if the thing's closely examined, you won't be entitled to a tax deduction in the current year, but it will drop into next year's. So make sure you get and that in advance. It has to be advance. received by the fund. And you can have problems with that. If, if it doesn't go into um, this year and it goes into next year, you might find that you can't make a contribution in next year either because you've already used it up on the 1st of July this year. So, so I always say if you're going to make additional contributions, make sure you do it in you know at least a week before because things go wrong. Mm, the best will in the world. Now, you talked about the superannuation work test for people who aren't employed mm-hmm. and are over 65 and still want to make contributions to their superannuation. Yeah, well, they have to. They have basically have to week of work test, which means they've got to have worked... 40 hours in a 30-day period in order to make a, a superannuation contribution. And that, complies to, uh, that applies to both deductible and non-deductible contributions. What's the difference between those two? Well, one, you get a tax deduction for up to 35000 when it goes in, and the other one, you can make a non-deductible contribution or non-concessional, as it's now termed, where you don't get a tax deduction. So you can contribute up to 100, provided you meet the contribution rules, you can contribute up to $180,000 in a year in non 
deductible con or non-concessionable contributions. And if you're under 65, there's also a thing called the Bring Forward Rule, which lets you put in three times 180. So that means you can bring the next three three years' contributions forward. Now, if you're turning 65 in a current year, there's all sorts of planning strategies you may need to look at because the Bring Forward Rule doesn't apply once you get over 65. Mm, okay. So the contribution rules, on first glance, look easy, but once you start to get in them, they they, they can be they can be quite complex, and the penalties are quite large if you breach them. Now, looking at the work test, does voluntary work count for that? Uh, unfortunately, no, voluntary work doesn't count. Um, you actually have to be gainfully employed, which means, in simple terms, you have to get a group certificate. So if you go down to the to the local um, uh, fruit shop and work um, um, 40 hour 40 hours over a 30 day period, it's fine. But if you go down to the local school and volunteer in the canteen, you might be doing exactly the same thing. Um, because you didn't receive any money for that, um, it doesn't count under the work test. Mm, so it has to be documented. It has to be a, documented. Has to get way. has to go to and that is being looked at. Um, when it first came in, there was a bit of looseness about what this meant, but in the last you know 80 months or so, the tax office has issued a ruling and made it quite clear: you have to be in paid employment. Right. Okay. And now, um, when we're sort of in a transition to pension or retirement, transition to retirement, um, what implications might that have well, at the end well, of the day? Well, you transition? know, once you once you reach 55, um, there's a thing called a transition to retirement pension, which you can commence. Um, you need to do the the maths on on that whether it's worthwhile or not. Um, the major the major benefit of that is it makes the balance that once a, you're paying a transition to retirement benefit from a superannuation fund, the assets that are used to support the pension no longer have any income tax or capital gains tax on them. So there's a tax benefit um, for the payment of the pension. But on the other side, the pension that you receive is taxable because you're under 60. Um, once you move over 60, um, basically you should pay a pension because the, the, the pension proceeds are non-taxable and it converts the fund, so the fund pays no tax as well. And so basically between 55 and 60, you need to do the maths to make sure you're better off. Once you're over 60, you are better off paying a superannuation pension. And finally, um, yes, if you have a pension coming out of your superannuation fund, something to think about? Yes. Well, what you need to do is make sure prior to the 30th of June you've drawn out the minimum pension amount for the year. Because if, if it's not, if you don't meet the minimum pension test, it just is treated as a lump sum payment and it's got not pleasant tax consequences. And that's Thursday Finance for today. Thank you, Stephen Pritchard. We'll be back next Thursday after the midday news on 2NURFM and Gillian Campbell coming in after the news in three minutes' time on 2NURFM as we head there with Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons.